Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 68 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. The weeks are flying by quickly now as we rush headlong into June and it's time for our monthly questions and answers roundup. short and sweet a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span a beekeeper in fact just like me well the bees appear to have finished their manic swarming session at last and things have begun to settle down a little as new queens are mated and starting to come into lay i have noticed that several of my new queens appear to have been poorly mated you can see this by the laying pattern that develops sporadic eggs and larvae scattered around the frames rather than a well-mated queen who will lay a full side of a frame with eggs before moving on to the next frame. I'm really not too sure how or why this happens. I guess with open mating it's still very much left to chance and a percentage of queens will fail to get sufficiently well-mated. I've also got a couple of drone-laying queens where they don't appear to be laying any fertilised eggs at all. So unfortunately, those will have to go and we'll start over again with those nucleus colonies. June is my month for some serious queen rearing. This year we aim to produce some very specific darker queens and it will be interesting to see the phenotype of the emerging queens. That's basically what they look like and also the traits that they express. I'm going to be ruthless this year, however, and anything that's not completely dark is not going to pass. I'll talk some more about my queen rearing strategy and processes over the next couple of weeks as we actually get into the queen rearing, but for now we need to get stuck into the monthly batch of questions submitted by my very kind supporters on our Patreon page. This is where you can access lots more content and at the same time support our efforts to produce more beekeeping content that we post. I'll leave details of how you can support us in the podcast notes that accompany this week's podcast. Please do take a look at them and if you can sign up that would be great. Our first question comes from Mark Diebel, who sent in the following. Hi, if you live in a part of the country on an exposed coast where it is always windy and never gets above 20 degrees, would you provide insulation above the crime board year-round? If so, can the insulation, the 2-inch wool type, sit directly on the crime board? Many thanks. Hi Mark, and thank you for your question. Interestingly, I was chatting to another beekeeper a couple of days ago about insulating hives as we were talking about the poly hives that I'm using at the moment. I'm not certain I would add insulation to the hive, rather I think I would look for a locally raised bee that was best able to cope with those conditions. You don't say exactly the location that you're in, but I know several beekeepers in Scotland and Wales who probably have the similar conditions to those that you're describing, and they don't insulate their hives at all, but have near-native or native bees that are well suited to those conditions. I think the issue with insulation is it's great for the bees inside the hive, but once they get out into the cooler conditions, are they going to cope? Depending on the type of bees you're currently running, I would perhaps give them some insulation short-term perhaps, but look to raise queens from local stock or find a local beekeeper near you who's got locally adapted bees. As far as the insulation is concerned, I wouldn't use the wool type insulation because I think the bees will get caught up in that. Rather, use the solid blocks of insulation. Next up is a question from Ava Loyson, who says, Hi Stuart, I've read that autumn is the best time to unite a weak colony with a stronger one 
However, my weak one is tiny, and I'm wondering if I could combine them now. Many thanks. Well, hi, Ava, and thanks for submitting your question. You're right, lots of books and lots of beekeepers will tell you that autumn is the very best time to unite colonies, but what they really mean is autumn is the latest time you should be uniting colonies to allow them to combine and settle down for the winter. It gives you time to remove excess equipment and make sure they're all okay prior to the long, cold winter months. But you're absolutely right to be thinking of uniting a weak, tiny colony with another stronger one if you don't want to build it up as a separate colony. And the best time to do it is right now, before they become too weak, that there's no point in uniting them at all. I would add a word of caution here and ask why are they so weak? Could it be because of disease, perhaps? Would you be combining a diseased colony with a perfectly healthy one and compounding the problem? As long as they're generally healthy, why not add a frame of emerging brood from a stronger colony to bolster their numbers? If you have more than one other colony, you could add one frame of emerging brood, and when they've all emerged and increased the number of bees in the weaker colony, you could add another frame or two from other colonies and soon bring them back up to strength. There are lots of options available to you, but if you only have two colonies and they're both healthy, one is very weak and the other strong, then perhaps uniting them is the right way to go. One thing not to do is to do nothing. If you do nothing, they will simply weaken further and be lost. So take a look at what you have, choose a course of action and go for it. But do let me know how you get on. Send me a direct message once you've gone with a plan. Ian Haslam writes, Hi Stuart, I seem to have poor success with queens from queen cells after splits, or just leaving one in the colony concerned. They have emerged, and I've waited three weeks. One drone-laying queen, and three with polished cells, I think, but no eggs, etc. I cannot find queens. Hopelessly queenless, maybe? I could try a frame of eggs from another colony, but that's the only one that's doing okay, and by the time a new queen has been raised, it will be late June, and no flying bees for foraging. Is this a symptom of the early swarming and lack of drones, or am I just unlucky? If I wait another week... I'll have egg-laying workers. Time to buy in some queens, maybe. Well, I'm sure you've already guessed from my opening remarks that you're not alone with the poor mating of queens this spring. It's happened to me, and I'm sure it's happened to a lot of other beekeepers across the UK. I don't think it's due to early swarming. There were plenty of drones around. The weather was lovely through the early part of the season, and queens emerged from queen cells as normal. So there must be something going on with either the queens or the drones being unable to mate. Maybe our drones are becoming less fertile, perhaps fewer sperm. I don't really know. Maybe someone out there is doing some serious scientific research on this topic. If not, then I'm available to any university that would like to fund a research project. On a more serious note, though, it is a real dilemma for us beekeepers. We're in the same boat here, Ian, and I'm wondering exactly the same as you. How long do I leave it before cutting my losses and trying to introduce a new queen. I've had colonies go four weeks as an apparently queenless colony, only for the queen to finally appear and start successfully laying eggs. I have multiple colonies currently with polished cells waiting for their queen to start laying, and they've been like that for several weeks now. Like you, I've been holding back waiting. My next move is to introduce a frame of eggs to see if the workers will build queen cells, but I'm lucky in that I have enough colonies to be able to do just that. 
with your situation of one queen right colony, it can put a lot of stress on the queen right colony if you remove too many frames of eggs, especially at this time of the year. Something you should plan to do, and I would suggest this to everyone out there, is to raise a nucleus colony to act as a feeder or support colony for the rest of your queen right hives. That way, if you find yourself queenless or in need of brood to build up numbers, you can take it from the nuke. If you need a frame of eggs to test a possible queenless colony, again, you can take it from the nuke. It's a great way to support the other hives in the apiary without depleting other stronger hives. But for your immediate situation, you could always cut out a small square of eggs from a frame in the queen right colony and insert this into the queenless colony to see what the workers do. That way, you're not reducing the stronger colony by a whole frame of eggs or brood. Do let me know how you get on and which way you decide to go with it. Gary Dodd writes, Hi Stuart, if you have artificially swarmed but do not want an increase, when is the best time to reunite? I was thinking around the end of June or the beginning of July, just before the summer nectar flow. Cheers. Well, hi Gary and thanks for the question. Yes, if you've had a successful artificial swarm and you've got a new queen ready and she's laying successfully, this month would be a great time to unite them. You'll get a nice boost to the numbers of foraging bees and you should achieve a good honey crop. Just make sure that you have enough space and they aren't crowded and they should do very nicely. Alternatively, you could run them as two separate colonies until the summer flow is over and then unite them. That would give you plenty of time to check on the new queen and make sure she's well mated, ready to go into the autumn and winter. Unite them before any autumn treatments or feeding and they should all be set for a successful overwintering period. Next up is a question from Bruce Kelman and he says, Hi Stuart, thus far we've been truly blessed having extracted £120 of wildflower clover honey and much more still in the supers. We need to extract the rest and get set for our sourwood nectar flow and was wondering what your personal preference is to rid the honey of the thin fine layer of wax that is always atop the buckets after straining. We currently strain our honey using a stainless steel double sieve. Thank you Stuart and for all you've done to help us all. Well hi Bruce and thank you for your question and your very kind words of support. Your question refers to the fine particles that settle after the double straining and I'm thinking it might be after the honey has granulated. If you're getting a layer of wax could it be that you're warming the honey to the point that the wax is melting and maybe straining directly from something like an uncapping tray where the wax melts out? With my double strainer, I sometimes get a layer of yeast and bubbles that settles on top of the granulated honey, but never wax as I strain my honey when it's barely warm, just runny enough to flow easily. If you send me a direct message detailing exactly the process you're using, we'll try and figure it out. But if you're using a double strainer, just warm the honey sufficiently to flow freely and you shouldn't be getting any wax in your honey buckets. Message me, Bruce, and we can chat about it later. The next question comes from Julian Keenleyside, who says, Hi Stuart, is it common or possible for a colony to swarm and produce cast swarms but not leave a queen behind? There seems to be a reluctance from some beekeepers to believe me when I tell them I think this is what's happened to my colony. Some seem very convinced that a virgin queen would be left behind even if one or more left. Well, hi Julian, that's a really interesting question. The books and all the beekeepers that have read those books will tell you that when a colony swarms, the first swarm to leave is the prime swarm, and then sometimes another swarm might leave which contains a virgin, 
and that's the cast. If there are more swarm cells, they may continue to swarm on virgin queens, or the remaining queens will emerge and fight it out until only one remains to take over the running of the colony. And yes, that is how it happens, mostly, I would say. Here's something that happened a few weeks ago to me that sounds very similar to your question. I inadvertently left a colony for a couple of weeks thinking that I had a single sealed queen cell in it, but in reality, I'd forgotten to remove the other queen cells, and there could have been around 8 or 10 queen cells in total. When I checked, all of the queen cells had emerged. The hive was barely functioning, with very few bees in it, and there still sat, apparently queenless, almost four weeks later as we speak. And I'm beginning to think that they've abandoned ship. Like you, my experience recently would seem to suggest that there's no queen left behind. I consider myself pretty good at spotting a queen, especially when there are so few workers in the hive, but I've yet to see her. Now, of course, there could be lots of reasons she's gone missing. Perhaps she was injured and died in a sisterly battle. Perhaps she survived that fight only to be eaten by a bird on her way out to mate. Or perhaps she died during the mating process or on her way back. Or maybe she got confused and drifted into another colony upon returning from mating. You can see there are many different ways that she could end up not in the hive. Whatever the reason, we both seem to be in the same position, apparently queenless and waiting to see what happens next. Let me know what you decide to do with your colony and how it turns out for you. Michael Wade is up next and asks, Hi Stuart, firstly thanks so much for all your fantastic videos. I have learned so much from them and it's given me the confidence I've needed to expand. I'm thinking about next year already. Could you advise when the best time is to make some nukes to overwinter while minimising the impact of the honey crop? Well it's a great question Michael and thank you for your kind comments about the videos. I'm very pleased to hear that you're talking about winter already. So many beekeepers leave it way too late to decide what they want to do for the next season and how they're going to achieve those plans. Now would be a great time to make up a few small nukes and get them set to overwinter. It doesn't take much and there's lots of time to allow them to build up into strong nucleus colonies going into the autumn and winter. This year I've been advocating using a brood box as a honey box or super to get some drawn brood frames of foundation ready to add to nukes and expanding colonies, and I would definitely suggest this. It gives nukes such a boost if they don't have to draw out foundation, and it saves you having to rob full-size colonies of valuable brood and food. If you find your colony throws a queen cell, take advantage of it and make up a three-frame nuke. The frame with the queen cell, a frame of emerging brood, and a frame of food. Add in a couple of frames of foundation if you don't have drawn comb, and shake in a frame or two of bees to provide bees until the sealed brood emerges. Remember, if you keep it in the same apiary, the flying bees will head back to the parent colony, so you do need to shake some bees into them. If you get more than one queen cell on different frames, try the two nukes from one parent colony method that I've made a video on. It works really well, and you should still get a decent crop of honey from the parent hive. John Bromfield asks, Hi Stuart, as we come to the possible June gap in the UK, I have a question about making up sugar syrup. I had always worked on the basis that for one-to-one -one sugar syrup, you would use equal quantities of weight of sugar and water, i.e. one kilo of sugar with one litre of water. However, I'm increasingly seeing articles where people are making it with one kilo of sugar to 1.25 litres of water. What's the correct proportion, please? Thanks for the great videos. They've been my go-to guide to beekeeping. 
Hi, John. And again, thanks for your lovely comments. Um, it's a fairly straightforward question, which you could make really complicated, as so many beekeepers have differing views on what's the best option. Some beekeepers will tell you if you have to feed your bees at all, then you're a bad beekeeper. Well, I must be a terrible beekeeper in that case. If I need to make up some sugar syrup, I use one kilo of sugar to 650 mils of warm water. So I guess that's a 1 to 1.25. But I've actually pretty much abandoned making up sugar syrup in favour of a pre-mixed syrup and fondant that I get from Paul Beardmore at Happy Valley Honey called Appy Mix. I used it over the last winter and for feeding some nukes this spring. And to be honest, the bees absolutely love it. And I should say, without any kind of science to back it up, the bees that I've fed seemed really healthy in the spring. And I'll post a link to Paul's website in the podcast notes for you to check it out. But if you're going to mix up some sugar syrup, then I find that the 1 to 1.25 ratio works really well. Our next question is from Steve Galpin, who says... Two hives, I'm sure, are both hopelessly queenless. I plan to combine and introduce a queen, but how long after combining would you wait before introducing a new queen? Oh, hi, Steve. Um, First question is, are you sure they're both hopelessly queenless? As you've probably already heard, I've got what appear to be hopelessly queenless colonies, uh, but there could well be some queens in them. So do make sure that they are hopelessly queenless before you introduce a queen. If they are, I would probably introduce a queen within 24 to 48 hours of combining. As soon as the bees have mixed, get a queen into them, but do make really sure that they are queens first, or you could end up with another dead queen. And finally, our last question is from Bernard Steele, who asks, Hi Stuart, can you please cover your experience with Max? I've heard stories of the queen getting bald or absconding. Would you place a queen excluder above the entrance to prevent this, or does this present a further complication for a stressed hive? Do you put a super above the brood box to give them more space during treatment? As a very new beekeeper, I find the prospect of treating for Varroa daunting, and I'm concerned that I'll get it wrong and end up doing more harm than good. Thank you. Boy, what a question to end with. Thanks for the question, Bernard. Uh, This one is one that could take up an entire podcast on its own. For now, I'm going to keep it short and will perhaps cover off using Max in a video later in the year. I've used Max previously, and Max stands for Mitaway Quick Strips, and I've used them over a couple of seasons, and I've had really mixed reactions to it by the bees. The first time, it worked probably better than the advertising suggests. I had a large colony with about four supers on it, and showing signs of a heavy load of Varroa mites, We put in the max pads as instructed and checked the mite drop over the following few days. Overnight there was a massive drop of mites and I stopped counting at something like 300. This continued the next day and gradually fell away over the following week until we removed the pads. I would estimate the drop of at least 1500 varroa mites. The next season I used it on a colony that had two supers on it A strong colony with plenty of bees. Within a day of putting in the pads, the bees had absconded from the hive and I haven't used Mitaway Quick Strips since. I'm sure it's bound to have been my fault for the absconding bees, but maybe I should have given them more space, but it is what it is and I lost the colony and it was a pretty nice queen too. I think dosing is critical when using Max 
and it's easy to think that you have a large colony and put in two pads when maybe one would have been sufficient. I wouldn't use a queen excluder over the entrance, but adding additional supers to give them space is a really good idea, I think. I haven't used them on a regular basis enough to be confident to advise you specifically, so I guess you're left with one of those difficult choices. This year I've treated with oxalic acid over the previous winter and I'll be using Apivar in the autumn. That for me works really well and negates the need for a formic acid treatment. Unless you have an immediate issue, I would go with an autumn treatment spread over a few weeks rather than the one-week mitoid quick strips. But I'm sure there's lots of beekeepers out there that are using Max very successfully, so my experience shouldn't put you off completely, but just be cautious if you do choose to use it. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for all the questions, and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast, and please do keep the comments coming. I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was Beekeeping Short and Sweet. Yeah.